Welcome back into Believe in the Wolfpack. I am your host, Luke Nichols. We got a lot to get to tonight. Gonna roll right into it. Gonna start off with women's basketball, then get into men's basketball after, then take a short break. Catch up on some football news. I, you know, I thought the football season was over. My bad. <laughs> I thought the transfer portal was going to, you know, die down a little bit. Transfer news is going to die down. No, 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 no. No, not one bit. If anything, it's just, <laughs> it's just, oof. it's never going to slow down. It's never going to slow down. It's always going to be transfer season. Guys are always going to be transferring. There's always going to be news in the transfer portal. I don't know why I thought, all right, we're an in-between period in the national championship game and bowl games. I was wrong. Dead wrong. But like I said, get into the women's team who just had a game tonight. Their first ranked matchup since they played and beat Colorado 78 to 60. They played Florida State tonight, won 88 to 80. It took overtime. Yeah. Still picking up an eight-point win at home against the top 25 ACC opponent. Florida State was ranked 22nd, I believe. We'll see them. No. This is the last time we'll see Florida State this year. I don't know why I thought we'll see them later in the year. That is just, yeah. But it's the third most points the women's team has put up this year. Put up 92 against UConn. Uh, where was the other one? 92, 87, 88. Put up 90 in another game. 90 against Elon as well. So 88 is the third highest total for the women's team. And it, it, yes, it took overtime, but... Still, putting up 88, that's a fantastic game. Speaking of fantastic games, Baldwin, 21 points overall. I think she had 16 points in just the first half. It was a very close game in the first half. Both teams were, I think it was tied. It might have been tied going into halftime. And River Baldwin was pretty much the main reason uh, the Wolfpack were in this game in the first half, and then everybody started to come around. And then Isaiah James came in with 18 points. Zoe Brooks coming off the bench now still had 15 points, five boards, three assists, a steal, a block, but did have six turnovers. That led the team. I mean, but she also played starter minutes. She got 31 minutes tonight, the most by far of anybody off the bench, 15 points off the bench as well. But yeah, 21 points in total for River Baldwin. Isaiah James with 18 points. Sanaya Rivers with 12, and even the uh, Sanaya Rivers, not the best shooting game, 4 of 13 from the floor, and Madison Hayes, what, what was it? oh, I just lost it, Madison Hayes had 11 points tonight, so pretty even scoring, even then Mimi Collins played 43 minutes, the most of any starter, had 11 rebounds, 3 assists, a block, and 9 points, it was 1 point off of that double-double, but I mean, 30 points tonight. And I think for, for Tania Latson, Tania Latson, 30 points for Florida State, the sophomore guard. I think she had 17 in the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly. Just uh, absolutely killing the pack in the fourth quarter and was, you know, a big reason why this game had to go into overtime and why, you know, we couldn't just pull it away. Uh, and then Beji had 12, Gordon had 15, Timpson off of Florida State, Timpson had 13. Not much production off the bench from Florida State. Uh, only eight total points off the bench for them. So, I mean, Latson was the reason, the sole reason they were in this game. 30 of the team's 80 points. 
10 of 24 from the field, one for six from beyond. So maybe one one or two more of those threes falls in regulation. Maybe we don't get to overtime. But then was perfect from the free throw line as well. Had nine of the team's 15 makes, even though they shot 78% from the free throw line. She went 100%. Honestly, I think it was a good game for the pack to experience. Kind of, I think it was the second, yeah, the second game in conference play. Had the win against Virginia, and then even this Sunday, taking on Virginia Tech, who is thirteenth in the country, and that game's going to be at noon, also on the ACC network. We'll get to that. just you know remember to spark something a little light bulb about uh you know the ACC network broadcasters last night during the men's game we'll we'll discuss that soon but yeah against virginia tech this sunday it's going to be a three versus 13 matchup that's going to be another tough game um but it's good two tests early on and even then like i said in the previous episode or two ago the biggest tests are behind them they beat uconn they beat colorado and now it's just you know you don't slip don't 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 kind of hurt yourself. Don't shoot yourself in the foot during conference play because you're 14 and 2 and 0 in the conference already. Louisville's behind you at 13 and 2. Virginia Tech is 11 and 2. You just beat Florida State, who's now 11 and 4. Just handed them their first loss in conference play. So you already have the tiebreaker if you need it. Um, but these next two games are going to be a tough stretch. Just back to back ranked opponents, and then later in the year, February. The 5th and February 8th, you have Louisville, who's ranked 17th, and then Virginia Tech, who's 13th. So we'll see Virginia Tech twice. I was thinking we see Florida State twice. We see Virginia Tech twice. I knew it was a top 25 opponent. But they pull off. They get the win. (laughs) It was a little close. It was much closer than anybody really wanted. But they're still going to be third. I would be shocked if they bump down – uh, an undefeated team at all. Uh, the only two ahead of them, again, are still South Carolina and UCLA. I don't think anything has really changed for the last month in the top five of uh, the women's basketball rankings. But then you do have Iowa and Caitlin Clark just kind of breathing down your neck on that fourth spot. And if you haven't seen the clip or if you didn't watch the game of Iowa when Caitlin Clark hit the game winner, what was it? Tuesday night I think it was Tuesday night she hit the game winner that sound they must have microphones right on the net or on the ball or something because that sound once the ball went through the net and it was a perfect nothing but net that sweet string music I like to say just 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 right through oh my good that sound was unbelievable it's one of those where you think like you know favorite sounds in sports it's like you know, crack of the bat on a home run, ball going into a catcher's mitt. That swish sound right there might be number one. That was, ooh, it was beautiful. I listened to it 10, 15 times in a row. It's about to be on my Spotify wrapped. I listened to it that much. It was unbelievable. The only, you know, real sound that I can think of, uh, and even a video that I can think of that I watched more just based on the sound of what happened in the video for sports is the one Shohei Otani home run. When I think it was one of their first games of the year, they were playing the White Sox. And uh, the uh, the announcer, ooh, it's, it's, again, his name is slipping my mind. 
Matt Vaskersian? I think it's Matt, Vac- Matt Vaskersian. He was like, oh, Otani, and then the color commentator is like, oh, first pitch swinging, and he just cracks the ball. You hear Vaskersian going, first pitch crushing, and uh, the sound the ball makes off the bat, it doesn't even sound real. It was ridiculous. It is still just, just the most unique sound of bat on ball I've ever heard, and I will always think of it I, i'll watch it just anytime 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 i see it on any feed i'm watching it at least five times simple as that um went off on a whole tangent there but my point caitlin clark is incredible <laughs> and just on impossible to stop you can't stop caitlin clark so hoping whatever tournament play rolls around she's just, we wouldn't have to see her until the national championship. You're going to have to beat good teams to win the championship, but <laughs> hand up. Caitlin Clark scares me. Um, but again, overall, NC State women's team comes away with a win, 88 to 80, high scoring game for both teams. Not much defense, but a lot of scoring for either side. River Baldwin, the MVP of this one, I would say, for pretty much keeping the pack in the game uh, for. The first half, especially now moving on to the men's game, a much closer and a much more horrific game, even though they did get the win. But my God, (laughs) if they have another shooting game like this again, they'll probably lose by 20 shot 28% from the field, 17% from three. Three of 17 from three. Three of 17 for 17%. 19 of 66 from the field. That is awful. Only scored 54 points. That is terrible. They took more shots. They took 19 more shots than Notre Dame. And Notre Dame shot 40%. They just needed more shots. And the reason they got more shots was the offensive rebounding. 17 offensive rebounds for the pack. 17 offensive rebounds. Only five. Only five for Notre Dame. They couldn't get a rebound to save their life. O'Connell had... O'Connell... Oh, wait, no, I'm looking at the wrong one. But uh, only five offensive rebounds. That is... How do you let up 17 rebounds? That's the reason you lost. You want to look as to, all right, how did we lose a game to a, to a team that shot 28% from the field and 17% from three? You didn't crash the defensive glass. Get a rebound. Gain a possession. It's that simple. <laughs> Don't let them shoot the ball 19 more times than you. Even went 13 of 16 from the free throw line, so you had six more free throws made than... Notre Dame and you shot pretty well 81% you'll take that pretty much every game from or as a team you'll take that every game but DJ Horn 3 of 14 from the field Casey Morsell 3 of 10 from the field Jaden Taylor 3 for 13 DJ Burns 6 of 15 couldn't hit a thing couldn't hit water if you fell off a boat couldn't hit sand if you fell off a camel whatever saying you, you couldn't hit a shot oh, it, it was terrible but they got the win. <laughs> For as awful as that game was offensively, you still squeak away with a win. And that's where you can, you know, really look at this as a positive. Good teams win bad games. This was a horrific game. And they won. 
So what does that tell you about the Wolfpack? They don't, you know, they don't waver. They don't get down on themselves. They don't get discouraged. The confidence was always there. They just, they, they always thought they were going to win the game. No matter how many shots they missed, no matter how many times they hit the rim and it didn't fall, still had that confidence. And to be a great team, you have to win ugly. Yes, you have to win pretty. You have to blow teams out. You got to have 50% shooting and 45% from three games. But if you can win games where you shoot below 30% from from the field and below 20% from three, which honestly usually never happens for, for, for the Wolfpack, and especially doesn't happen when you win, that's very impressive. So credit to them for just kind of, you know, like I said, confidence never wavered. They stuck they stuck in the game the entire time. They never they trailed the entire game. The only time they led was when it was 54 to 52. <laughs> and it was off the DJ Burns little up and under with the floater. That's what I meant to get to. So the the the, the color commentary person for the ACC network last night, Dan Bonner, I believe his name is. So passes inbound. It's 52-52. Keats calls a timeout. Have, what was it? Like four seconds, five seconds to work with, something like that. Have one guy go off a screen from Burns. Cuts to the corner. Burns has all the space in the world on that far side block right in front of the bench. All the space in the world. No one's coming to double-team him, which I could not believe they did not double-team DJ Burns. I thought that was the most obvious play in the world was to go to DJ Burns after he hit the, again, a little post-hook move to to get it to 52 wall. Then you fouled, I think it was Inji? Jai? Is that how you say Jai? I think he, yeah, I think he missed the free throw. No, he made all his free throws. Who got fouled? Oh, no. Also... Who got fouled? I can't remember who got fouled. But, oh, Roper. It was Roper. It was Roper. He was all the way at the bottom, over one from the free throw line. Fouled Roper. He completely missed his free throw. Skimmed it off the front rim. You come back down, call a timeout, get a play set. And it was a great play because it worked perfectly. But Dan Bonner was saying that was a last resort play. That is exactly what we wanted. That is exactly what Keats drew up. That is exactly what DJ Burns and the rest of the team was expecting. And he called that a last resort. It worked out perfectly. Burns was all by himself. Little boom. Ball fake. Easy floater with .6 left on the clock they put. That was beautiful. That was a perfect play. It was perfect. Burns executed it to perfection as well. Little, I mean, I've, I've always I've said it before. how He's got just great touch around the rim and just great footwork and everything. When he's left alone like that as well, I cannot believe they did not double team him. What were they thinking? But he just gets a little up and under. And I did get a little nervous that he didn't try to go off the glass with it. But hey, it went in. I'm not going to nitpick. I just could not believe that he called it a last resort play. What are you talking about? That is exactly what we wanted to do, especially when our other main guys, Horn, Taylor, Marcel, aren't shooting the ball that well the entire night. Burns wasn't even shooting the ball that well until the final two possessions. And you just had success with nearly the same play on the same block, the possession before. But you're going to say that it was a last resort? I couldn't believe that. It made... It made no sense to me that he was like, ah, oh, it was a last resort. I'm still kind of thinking about it. Like, what did he mean? <laughs> what did he mean by that, a last resort? Because that's just, just wrong. 
Uh, but again, it was nice to see that they can win these kind of games and, you know, win the ugly ones. This one was probably the most ugly game that we'll have all year. And I always like looking at the game flow and the win probability on uh, ESPN whenever the game's going on and whenever the game concludes. The win probability the entire time. Notre Dame's line is up here right above the red line at NC State. And it's kind of going up. It's going up. It's going up consistently. Notre Dame is ahead. And then at the very last second, at the very last bit, boom, win probability jumps up right to 100%. So <laughs> it's just it's just good to see. It doesn't matter how long you lead the game for, as long as you lead the game with triple zeros in the second half. So grateful for a win. Another road win in ACC play. Wolfpack moved to 10-3 and on the year, 2-0 and in conference play. The next game is, I had it written down, but I'm going to look at it on here anyway, is this Saturday against Virginia at 2 o'clock. Finally, a home game, a home conference game. It's going to be the first home conference game. Yeah, they're 2-0 and in conference games, both on the road. So you got that Virginia game uh, this Saturday, and then North Carolina on the 10th at 8 o'clock on ESPN. That's going to be a fun one. We'll step away for a moment, but when we come back, going to get into my uh, college football playoff championship prediction and the former five-star receiver coming home. <laughs> All right, welcome back in. Believe in the Wolfpack and some more football news. <laughs> Even as the national championship rolls around, NC State lands Noah Rogers, the receiver who initially at a high school committed to Ohio State. At the time, coming out of high school, he was the 40th ranked prospect in the nation, the eighth wide receiver, and a top two prospect in the state of North Carolina. Coming home to NC State, I guess he's seeing the receiving core that we're building here and seeing Grayson McCall come over to the Wolfpack, and he didn't want to be left out. I don't, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. It was a good move. He's six foot two, two hundred one. Uh, I believe he was a redshirt this year for Ohio State. Didn't play, so I guess that would also make sense. Even then, I mean, he had Ibuka and Julian Fleming, who also transferred, and then Marvin Harrison Jr. If you've heard the name, uh, there at Ohio State. So just going into a loaded wide receiver room, and even with Kyle McCord leaving this year going to Syracuse. I think they did just get Will Howard. I'm pretty sure he just committed there, though, like today uh, to Ohio State. So, But still, Noah Rogers wanted to come home. We'll take it. little duo of uh, – even then with him having somewhat more of experience, him and Concepcion, I am now thinking will be the main two guys next year. But, again, we have so much time. I'm just going to enjoy being – I think we're back to – Top five in the transfer portal rankings? Yep, fifth. Fifth with only nine commits and still fifth in the transfer portal rankings uh, for the country. It goes Ole Miss, Colorado, TCU, Louisville. That stinks. Uh, and then the Wolfpack. Four four-star commits and five three-stars. Total of nine commits. Pretty good. I'm just going to enjoy it. <laughs> Uh, watch some watch some high school highlights again <laughs> from Rogers <laughs> uh, and start dreaming. I did see Grayson McCall loaded up a U-Haul and was kind of getting all his stuff up to up the campus. So <laughs> that was also fun to see. But 
time for what could be and probably will be a very incorrect prediction <laughs> for the college football national championship. I went 0 for 2 in bowl games. Whatever. <laughs> I'm never going to stop making predictions. I've been, like I said, been wrong before. I'm going to be wrong again. Just got to take it. I'm not scared of it. It happens. It, have, it, everyone's been wrong before. I am just, you know, usually wrong about predictions. Maybe I got this one right. I'm going to think and hope that I do. But just to go right into it, I got Washington coming away with this one 34 to 30. My initial thought was it would be hilarious that Washington wins it as a Pac-12 team as the Pac-12 disbands pretty much and they win the final national championship of the four-team college football playoff. That's about 40% of my reasoning for the pick. The other 60% is that this is the best passing offense and the best offense overall that Michigan is going to play this year. And they really don't have much experience against great offenses. The best one they've played was Maryland, who put up 24 points on them. Now, Tagovailoa didn't play that well uh, against Michigan. He had two picks, and I think it was only 240, 250-some yards. Um, but other than that, they've just been playing terrible. Not terrible. Ohio State had a decent offense, but I think watching all year and watching Ohio State in those big games, I think everybody could tell that it wasn't the 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 usual Ohio State offense that you know we're kind of all used to in years past. Even then, they're not top ten, they're not top twenty, they're fringe top thirty for total offense uh, in the country. Not a great offense. The Michigan defense is fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but I'm saying they just haven't played a great offense. Whereas this Washington offense is the best in the country. They are the best at just, just, they average 350 passing yards a game, 350 passing yards a game, have 4,900 passing yards on the year. They average 473 yards a game. That's not the best, but you look at that game last week and try to tell me that there's a better offense when you got Michael Penix back there, Badunze, and just the plethora of, of uh, weapons they have. Dylan Johnson, that's uh, a guy that's that's who I was thinking of trying to remember if he's going to play or not. Dylan Johnson is playing in the national championship. They'll have him. Yeah, there you go. Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan. These are just all guys that are incredible talents and not just at the college level. They'll all be great talents at the professional level as well. Sunday players, as, as they call them. It's a great term. I love that. But this Washington offense, I think they're just going to keep it rolling. I think Michael Penix and the rest of the offense has all the confidence in the world. I think Penix just shows that confidence and shows that kind of, you know, just swagger that he has of, I'm better than you. I'm going to make this ridiculous play and it's going to make you look like a fool and make me look awesome because yeah, he had the injuries, but he's got, he's so experienced and just seeing him move in the pocket, he just evades sacks like no other. And I get it. Michigan's D line is fantastic. And who is it? Sandstrill? Sandstrill, I believe their DB is one of the best defensive backs in the country. I get that but they just haven't seen an offense like Washington the entire year. They they just haven't. It's simple as that. So I think they're really going to struggle out of the gate with this just just, just fast and just up-tempo and this incredible offense with all these weapons that they can beat you in a bunch of different ways. If they can shut down the run 
and make Penix throw the entire time, he may even welcome that. He may prefer that. And even then, if you just start getting gashed over the top and gashed deep, even just in the intermediate stuff, then Dylan Johnson's going to kill you on the ground. Even if he's not 100%, which, I mean, the fact that he's already uh, listed as will be playing, if he's not 100%, he's 90%, I would say. But, I mean, I just think the offense is going to overcome the defense. I still do think that Michigan's going to put up some points. I think McCarthy's going to play uh, a lot better than he did in the Rose Bowl. I think he looks a little iffy in the Rose Bowl. He's had some great games this year, but he's had some bad ones as well where he didn't look that great. Um, but I think he realizes that he kind of needs to show up. And if you can show up somewhat against an Alabama defense in the Rose Bowl, then I, I think he can carry that uh, momentum into into the national championship but I still think Blake Corum and the ground game for Michigan is going to be the key uh if they want to win this game they have to play just keep the ball on the ground hurt them on the ground between the tackles and keep that Washington offense off the field and they may have to try to make it a very low scoring game like a 24 to 17 final score 20 to 17 final score they got to make it ugly if Michigan can make it an ugly game they have I I think they win that game if they can make it an ugly game they'll win it if they get into a shootout no chance I think I, I I think it's just obvious Washington looked incredible last week and even then as long as Washington doesn't get too ahead of themselves running these trick plays when the game isn't fully sealed yet there's no reason that they should lose. But, you know, my guess, my prediction is as simple as the best passing offense in the country is just going to hurt and beat one of the best defenses, overall defenses in the country. And simply because, I mean, Washington has played, I mean, they just played Texas, who was a great defense. They played other, you know, solid defenses throughout the year. Yeah, but. Michigan is still going to be the best defense that they play and that they see. But <laughs> Penix is just so experienced. He's been in college football forever. He had an incredible game last week against Texas. I don't see why he can't do it again. Now, again, Michigan's giving up 152 passing yards a game, has only given up 1,984 passing yards in total. But you played the Big Ten. You played Iowa. Drew Aller forgot how to throw the ball for Penn State. I got offense. I know defense wins championships. Yeah, 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 whatever. But I got the offense winning this one for Washington. And also because it would be hilarious that the the Pac-12 team wins the championship the year the conference dies. And even then, both these teams are going to be in the Big Ten next year. So to have this maybe like a new rivalry show up and even Washington kind of saying like, hey, we won a championship you know, just this year, and we just got to the Big Ten. We don't really need you. We're, we're, we're better than you. You know, we don't <laughs> – you guys need us. We're the best team in the country, not any of you. But, yeah, 40%, like I said, 40%, it would be hilarious, 60% Michael Penix and that offense. So maybe I'm going to be right. Who knows? Bet against me. I won over two last week. Might win you some money. You're welcome. But thank you for joining me on another episode of Believe in the Wolfpack. 
Got some more men's and women's games this weekend. We'll come with a recap. Back to our regular, regularly scheduled programming of Tuesday and Thursday next week. No more holidays for quite some time. That's going to derail us. So we'll be back next Tuesday. And thank you for joining.